0: If you have your Bible here today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 33. Uh, Those of you joining us online, welcome again. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bible, turn to Genesis 33. That's close to the beginning of your Bible, should, should be easy to find. Now you know this summer we have been studying through the life of Jacob, the prodigal patriarch, as we have called him, the schemer and the dreamer. He's both of those. Today we're going to be looking at uh, probably our next-to-last message in this series in Genesis 33, title of our message today, Healing the Hurts of the Past. In February of 1993, Mary Johnson's only son, Laramian, was killed by four gunshots during a gang-related incident. With the help of eyewitnesses, detectives found a prime suspect just two days later. During a police investigation, 16-year-old O'Shea Israel confessed to killing Mary's son, Loramian. Now, as any grieving mother would, Mary struggled with anger and hatred toward her son's killer. In fact, here's what she said. She said, this killer has taken so much from me. My son is gone. I never will see him graduate, never see him get married or have children There's nothing more unnatural, she said, than for a parent to have to bury a child. Now, after two years of hearings and appeals, O'Shea was tried as an adult and convicted of second-degree murder. Mary addressed her son's killer during her impact statement in court. She said that she forgave him because the Bible says in order to be forgiven, you must forgive. But deep in her heart, Mary confessed that Really, she had just said a bunch of pious words. Those feelings of bitterness and hatred welled up within her. She said, I wanted him locked up and caged because that's what he was, an animal. He is getting what he deserved. O'Shea Israel was sentenced to 25 years in prison. And even though justice was served, Mary said that she was the one who felt like she was behind bars. She was a prisoner of the hurts of the past. And because of her bitterness, Mary was unable to move on with her life for many years. Now, we'll hear more about Mary's story later on. But her visceral struggle with forgiveness, I think, is something that we can all relate with. I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis said in one of his books, he says, everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until you've been offended and then you have something to forgive. I suspect that there is somebody in your past who has deeply hurt you. It may be an employer who took advantage of you, a friend who betrayed you, it might be a parent who abused you, or a mate who cheated on you. I'm not here today to tell you that Forgiveness and reconciliation is easy, but what I am telling you is that through the power and the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is possible. And our case study this morning from Genesis 33 will show that as we have estranged brothers being reconciled. Now, this summer we have studied the patriarch Jacob. And we've noticed his ups and his downs. Last week, he was wrestling with God at the banks of the Jabbok River. And there we found that God broke him. And he walked away from that with a new name, and a Limp. Now, it's been over 20 years since Jacob has deceived his brother Esau out of the blessing. And over those 20-some years, the Lord has been working on old Jacob to bring him back to a point of humility and repentance over his scheming ways. Now, in today's study, we're going to see the result of that long night where he wrestled with God. Jacob emerges from that, a different man, changed. And he is going to be forced by God to confront the biggest problem in his past, and that is the hurt over his brother. And he's going to bring restitution and reconciliation to that. And in this message, what I want to do is point out some vital truths for you and I about reconciling. And I was amazed this week, as I studied this passage, considering the divided climate of our culture today, how applicable this message is to where we are as a nation today. You'll be amazed at that, how the Holy Spirit has, I believe, really just engineered this morning, because I studied and prepared this passage long ago, for just a time as this, so what do we need to learn this morning? Well, number one, I want to talk to you about the responsibility of reconciliation. The responsibility. Verse one, chapter thirty-three. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, four hundred men with him. And so he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the female, two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, and Leah with her children, and Rachel, and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now, as this scene opens, you can cut the tension with a knife. Remember, Jacob hasn't seen Esau in decades, and that broken relationship hung like a thick, dark cloud over Jacob's conscience. In fact, the last words that Jacob ever heard his brother Esau utter before he left for Haran was the promise that Esau was going to kill his brother Jacob. We read about that in Genesis 27 and verse 41. Now, we read here also that Jacob has opened the door for reconciliation. Because if you go back in chapter 32, verses 3 through 5, you understand that Jacob sins ahead of his family a huge gift of animals and servants to Esau. And by doing this, what Jacob is essentially doing is extending a peace offering to his brother. He desires to meet Esau so that he can express to him his sorrow over the hurt that he caused years ago. And of course, Jacob doesn't know how his brother is going to react And when he sees Esau coming down the road with a 400-man army, you can best believe that it put a quiver in his liver. Because Jacob is thinking, this is the moment of my demise. My brother is going to fulfill his word. He's going to bring wrath and death upon my family. And that's why we read there that Jacob split up his family. In the event that there was a vicious attack, some of them could get away. But we see that this whole situation begins to be resolved as verse 3 tells us that as Jacob approached, he bowed himself on the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Finally, Jacob is doing something commendable, noble, and honorable in his life. He takes the first steps toward his brother, bowing in humility and repentance along the way as if, He were in the presence of some great king. And this is where I want to point out our first application today as we talk about reconciliation in our relationships. And this is it. Write this down. If you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, then the burden of responsibility for reconciliation rests on you and me. And like Jacob, we have to be willing to initiate steps of forgiveness. By the way, this applies to our relationships even if we did not commit the offense which led to the brokenness. Do you remember what Jesus preached in His Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5? Back up one slide and show them this scripture. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, Verse 24, then leave your gift there before the altar and go, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And so Jesus says, look, you have to have a right relationship with man before you can offer right worship to God. How many of us come in week in, week out with unresolved conflict in our lives, and we offer worship to God that doesn't meet His standard because... We haven't really dealt with the problem in our marriage or in our friendship or at work or with that son or daughter or whatever the case might be. Now I just want to step aside right here for a moment and get on my soapbox and talk for a minute about our culture because I think that this passage applies directly to where we are as a nation today. Listen to me. One of the great problems that plagues our society today is that nobody wants to take personal responsibility for anything, especially when it comes to healing the hurts of the past. You see, we live in a victimhood culture where we say every problem in my life is a result of some inequity or some injustice that somebody has done to me. And we say it's the government's fault. It's racial injustice, that's the problem. It's the police's fault. It's the president's fault. Everybody spends too much time playing the victim and nobody wants to take a hard deep look at themselves and ask, what did I do? What decisions and choices did I make? What actions am I responsible for that has led me to this position of brokenness in my life and in my friendships? This is why some people never move on in life and never can do anything meaningful in their situation because they are so occupied with pointing the finger at everybody else. Now, let me show you something here. There was a great turning point that began to happen in Jacob's life when he started taking responsibility for the family problems that he had caused and he took it upon himself to be an agent of reconciliation. And he starts to own up to the issues that he had caused. Friend, listen to me. You can't change... You can't grow, you cannot heal until you get rid of the victimhood mentality and begin to deal with your own sin and your own decisions and take responsibility for your own life. Right? Am I preaching the truth? Clarence McCartney, a great preacher of yesteryear, he told a story about a couple that was in his church. This couple had become estranged and separated And for some reason, they did not file for divorce, but the man moved out, and he went to live somewhere across town. Meanwhile, the wife took care of their son. And it wasn't long until after they separated that their son became sick with cancer and died. And you can imagine how tragic and how difficult the funeral was on top of the strained relationship that those two people were dealing with. Well, he said that a a, a few years went by And each of them lived in their own private pain. Until one day they met unexpectedly. It was the anniversary of the son's death, and the father decided that he was going to go to the cemetery to visit the grave. And as the man stood by the grave, he heard someone coming up behind him, and as he turned around, he saw the face of his estranged wife. And of course, what had drawn them together that day, by accident, was their common interest in the death of their son, that that grave. And McCartney said that God took over in that moment and they had a powerful moment of clasping hands and weeping together and they were eventually able to reconcile their differences and come back and live together in harmony and in love as bride and groom. But you know what it was that brought them together? It was the death of the son. And friend, I'm here today to tell you that it's the death of God's Son that can bring reconciliation today. He can bring back together broken and estranged hearts. But it begins when we accept responsibility and say, I I have a part to play in this. And we begin to confess our sin and, and deal with our own heart issues honestly and transparently. You see, because if we look at the cross... Everybody's guilty. If we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we all have a shared responsibility. It was our sin that put Him there. It was our sin that caused Him pain and suffering and death. And if we as a nation could come together and set aside the politics and set aside all the things that divide us and realize that it's God's Son that's going to bring us together. It's the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that can take what's broken and bring it back to unity again. You see, friend, as God's people, we're called to do all that we can in our relationships to make things right. And I know what some of you are saying, yeah, but preacher, you don't understand. I've tried to do everything that I can to make it right in my marriage or with my prodigal son or daughter or with that person at work. And I get that. Because you can't change somebody else's heart. Only God can do that. But at least what you can do is do everything that God has asked you, and when you lay your head down at night, you can have the peace of knowing, God, I did everything I could to be obedient to You. I did what You asked me to do. That's number one, the responsibility of reconciliation. And Jacob takes responsibility for that. second thing I want you to see today is what I call the release of reconciliation. The release, notice this emotional outpouring, verse 4. But Esau whoosh, ran to meet him. Sound effects not included, right? <laughs> and embraced him and, watch this, fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? They, these families have never met. And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And at last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. What a powerful moment. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a bystander there on the side of the road as you see these long estranged brothers separated by sin and distance? Here they wash away the hurts of the past in a flood of tears. And isn't it interesting that much of what Jacob feared in terms of his brother's reprisal is unfounded? (laughs) I mean, you read this passage, it's amazing. Uh, While Jacob feared his brother, it was Esau who couldn't wait to see him. And the Bible says he ran out to meet him. And then they wept, and they had a moment there of putting back, mending those fences, as it were. And you don't get the slightest hint from Esau that at this point he's harbored any ill will or bitterness toward Jacob. You see, Esau, we aren't told how, we aren't told why, but somehow Esau found a way to move on with his life, to forgive, to let the hurt of the past go. And when they meet together, they have this release. It's almost like walking out of prison, (laughs) And here's a second application I want you to see today. Reconciliation begins when we decide to release the person who wronged us from the debt they owe us. That's the application. It's been said that forgiveness is like letting go a rattlesnake. It benefits the snake, but it benefits us even more. And forgiveness, don't misunderstand me, it's not ignoring it's not rationalizing the offense. Neither is it forgetting altogether the pain that was inflicted upon us. But forgiveness is a choice. To let go of the past, to let go of the pain, and to let go of the person who hurt us so that we can move on and allow God to do a work in our heart. We don't have to live that way. Lewis Smedes, he wrote a great book a few years ago called Forgiven and Forget. Easier said than done. But here's what he wrote in that book. He said, quote, If you cannot free people from their wrongs and see them as the needy people they are, you enslave yourself to your own painful past and fastening yourself to the past, you let hate become your future. Boy, doesn't our world need to hear this today? you will know that forgiveness has begun. Listen, when you recall those who hurt you and you feel the power to wish them well. Forgiveness, he said, is setting a prisoner free and finding out that it was yourself. You see, friend, listen to me. The enemy wants people to live in pain and bitterness and revenge because unforgiveness in and of itself is a prison And Satan wants to keep us captive there. And have you ever seen so many people living in that kind of bondage as you have during the year of 2020? Oh my goodness. Don't we need some reconciliation today in our country and even in our churches? I have heard angry BLM writers say, justify burning down somebody's business because of quote-unquote injustice in their life? Where do you get off taking somebody else's business away from them? You don't even know them. That's full of hatred and wickedness, friend. I heard of families and friends. I have heard of people severing relationships this year because politics have divided them. They can't agree on red or blue or the policies or whatever is going on in our country politically. And so it's because it's so divided. Those people who say, I can't talk to you anymore. Don't bother coming to my house. We're not getting together as a family because you support that candidate. Where are we as a country? I've seen people on Facebook. We all watched the news this week. We woke up and we heard that President Trump had been infected with the COVID-19 virus. And I got on some of the news sites and on the Facebook pages there, WLOS especially, and I just looked at the comments, and I was astounded at how many people got on there and commented and said nasty things like, I hope he dies with the virus. Friend, if that is where your heart is, you need reconciliation. If that's where your heart is and you're so consumed by hatred for somebody that you don't know and haven't even met, then you need to do a heart check and think about, where am I as a person? You see, some people look at that and say, oh, well, that's freedom of speech. No, friend, that's prison. That's living in a prison of hatred. And if you choose that for your life, friend, the bitterness of that acid will eat you up from the inside out. That's why we have so many miserable people in our country today because they're eat up with hatred and bitterness over their life and they need the power of the gospel to set them free. You see, Jesus, oh my goodness, I'm going to preach today. Jesus Christ has the gospel key to let them out of prison. Uh, they can look at the cross of Jesus Christ and begin to understand the weight of their sin, the depth of their depravity, and when they see the price that was paid, they begin to understand, hey, if God can forgive me and my sin debt is so much, I can begin to forgive others who have hurt me in the past. And friend, when you grab a hold of that oh the devil gets a black eye you get a card out of prison and you can walk free and say i'm not living in the chains of the past no more i'm not letting my life be defined by hatred I'm not going to go back that way. The past is past. It's under the blood. And I'm walking today out of here with love in my heart, with joy in my step, with peace and hope for the future. Because Jesus Christ took care of my sin and He cleansed my heart and made me new. Somebody better say amen in the house of God today if our nation got a dose of this. Oh, you think the uh, the media was speechless on uh, November 2016 when the election didn't turn out the way that they predicted if people started loving one another, if the altar was full, if church was packed and people was climbing to get to the altar to pray and repent. Oh, they wouldn't know what to think then because that's the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can bring people back together again. So if you're having trouble with forgiveness today, You know what you need to do? You need to go back to the cross. You need to take a hard look at what happened there for you and for me and remember how much Jesus forgave you. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He says, if you want to learn about forgiveness, then go to the cross. And if you want to learn about forgiving others, hang out there for a while. Amen? Amen? That's the release of reconciliation. Could you imagine... What this would do in the hearts of people, if the gospel set them free, and they were to let go of those chains of bitterness and hatred, they could be new people, couldn't they? The release of reconciliation. And we see the responsibility of reconciliation. And then I want you to see number three, the restitution of reconciliation. Restitution. Notice verse 8. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company? Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Verse 11, Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, And he took it. Now you can see that Jacob is sincere in his desire to begin to make things right with his brother Esau. He insists upon restoring to Esau all that he had stolen those years ago in the family blessing. In fact, you can go back to chapter 32, verses 12 through 16, and you can see the list of everything that Jacob sent ahead as a gift to his brother Esau. It's like a king's ransom and then some. There was 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels, and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. You talk about a petting zoo. (laughs) But you have to understand, in ancient times, this was wealth. This was commerce. And so, Jacob says to his brother, I want to prove to you how changed I am and how repentant my heart is. I want you to accept this gift from me as a way to make up for what I took from you so long ago, because God has blessed me richly, and now I want to be a blessing unto you. You know, you can can understand when you've reached a point in your forgiveness process, when thoughts in your heart aren't filled with anger and bitterness, instead you can let go and learn to pray, God bless them, God help them even if they're not willing to come to the negotiation table, you pray for them and you say, God, I I can't change their heart, but I want to make it right. Lord, will you do something in their life so that we can get this fixed? Because I I can't live this way anymore. And when you come to that point where you can bless them, God's beginning to, to move you in the right way. Amen? Notice the difference here between retaliation and restitution. Our culture doesn't understand this. Retaliation is the payment we demand from our offender. That's why you got people out in the streets burning down the world. Because they feel like they, this is the only way they can get revenge. But restitution is the payment the offender volunteers to bring about reconciliation. And this is totally biblical. A parallel scene to this is, remember the notorious tax collector Zacchaeus? He was up in the tree when Jesus came by. Jesus called him out and he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there for I'm coming to your house. And here's what the Bible says in Luke 19. After they had that meal, he received Jesus' forgiveness. And then look at the offer that Zacchaeus made in the Bible. Luke 19 and verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. That's restitution. And Jesus said to him, Watch this. Today, salvation has come to this house. You see, Zacchaeus' willingness to repay those who he had defrauded wasn't a condition for receiving Jesus' forgiveness, but it was evidence that true life change, true heart transformation, and repentance was being made. In fact, there's a 3 step process in this. There's recognition. We have to recognize The wrong done. There's repentance, that's confessing to God the wrong and turning from it. And then three, restitution, that's paying back what is owed. So here's the application. If we're on the other end of that equation and we have hurt someone, restitution is the evidence of true repentance. There was an interesting article in the news a few years ago. (laughs) The headline caught my attention. You don't see this headline very much. But here's what it was. Anonymous thief pays for stolen hammer. (laughs) I had to stop and read it when I saw that. Here's what the report said. An anonymous thief sent an envelope of cash to a family-owned supply store in western Pennsylvania, like a mom-and-pop tool store, right, to pay for a hammer stolen 30 years ago. The cash arrived at Central Contractors Supply Company in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and it had a handwritten confession with it. Here's what it said. I knew I was wrong when I stole it. And enclosed is $45 to cover the hammer plus a little bit more. I'm sorry I stole it, but listen to this. But since then, I have met the Lord Jesus and He has changed me in many ways. I can't believe the newspaper even printed that. But the store owner said that was the first time in 50 years of business that anybody had paid for a stolen item. And friend, that's what I'm talking about. What reconciliation can do and what God can do when He gets a hold of the heart of somebody. He can turn them around. and He can bring unity where there was distance. And He can bring restitution and reconciliation. So in every instance... We should forgive those who wronged us. Regardless of their ability to make restitution. But if we're on the other end of that, and we have been forgiven, the next step is we have to do all that we can to make restitution where it is possible. So here's the question we have to ask when we've hurt somebody. In what ways do I need to restore that which I have damaged in the relationship? may not always be monetary or physical, but it could just be sitting down and having a heart-to-heart with that person and saying, look, this has gone on long enough between us. And I want to tell you what's been on my heart. And let God do a work. And that brings us to number four, the reward of reconciliation. And we're done today. The reward. Verse 10, notice what Jacob said. No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. Watch this. For I have seen your face. Remember, he hadn't seen his brother's face in two decades. Which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. That's the reward. Notice carefully this. What happened in the previous chapter? Chapter 32. The night before this encounter... Jacob had wrestled with God. Remember that? And he saw him face to face. And during that wrestling match, the Lord, remember, He exposed Jacob for who he was. He asked him, He said, What is your name? Last time somebody asked him that question was his father, and he lied and said, I'm Esau. This time, God has him pinned to the, to the floor, and God asks him, Who are you? And he says, I'm Jacob. In other words, I'm a trickster. I'm a deceiver. I'm a usurper. I'm a, I'm a schemer. And despite his ugly, sinful past, God accepted Jacob for who he was. When he made that honest confession, he changed his name at that moment and said, You're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. He blessed him. And he walked away crippled but crowned. Do you remember that? Now the same kind of interplay has happened between these brothers. And despite the fact that he stole the brother's blessing and he ripped his brother off, Jacob has now found the same mercy and forgiveness in the face of his brother. Do you see that? He said it's like looking at the face of God. Do you understand what he's saying there? It's this. We're never more like Jesus than when we learn To forgive. You want to represent God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ of this culture? Teach them how to forgive, how to let go, how to move on and let God deal with the hurts of the past. Why? Why is that, friend? Because forgiveness is not natural. It's supernatural. It has to come from God, right? Right? And so when we forgive others, we are showing them what the gospel is all about, that I have been forgiven much. And because I'm a forgiven person, I can be a forgiving person. And the awesome reward of this process is that when we go about it, People see something that is not of this world. They see a glimpse of grace, a picture of what it's like for the Father to look down upon us and declare us free and reconciled and brought into a right relationship with Him. You see, here's what I'm telling you, is that when you begin this process of reconciliation, you can see a small miracle of God take place in your life that which was hopeless, that which was broken, that which was irreparable, that which set you apart for many long years. Oh, the blood of Jesus Christ can bring it back together again. So let's take a lesson from Jacob. When he looked at the face of God, and he was broken before his Maker, his heart changed. Everything was different about Jacob when he walked away in chapter 32. And friend, listen to me. The only way we can begin to heal the political, racial, and cultural division in our nation is you know what we need? A face-to-face experience with the living God. Because when you look in the face of God, you don't remain the same. He shows you for who you really are. And you must walk away different. And you say, God, if you've really changed me, then help me to let go. Help me to move on, God. Help me not to be the same person that I have always been. Don't be deceived. Listen to me. A new president in the White House will not help you love your enemies. A better government policy will not heal your heart. An election cycle will not change this country for the better. Seeking revenge in some kind of protest mob and making demands is not instantly going to bring peace and contentment into your spirit you see, we need to have an encounter with the Prince of peace. Uh, Jesus has got to touch our lives. We need the forgiver to come along and wash away the hurts of the past. We need grace to flow from the throne of God into our lives once again. and we as God's people can be the leaders in that way. God help us. The church, if we can't do this, we can't do our part. How can we expect a lost and dying world to do it? So I'm telling you today, it's not easy. Oh, but with the power of Jesus Christ, it's possible. Oh, friend, I've seen it done in marriages. (laughs) I've seen it done in my own family. I've seen it done in hopeless cases. You let God come in and give Him a chance, and you just see what He can do. Remember Mary, Mary Johnson? As the years went by, her resentment towards her son's killer got worse. But the Lord began to break her heart, her pastor came to her and said, Mary, would you like to teach a women's group on forgiveness? Mary says, it was at that moment I had to take an honest look at my heart. She said, I felt the Lord speaking to me saying, Mary, you need to repent. You need to repent for all the things that you've said about this young man. I love him. And I sent my son Jesus to die for your son's killer. And I forgive him just as much as I forgave you. She said that God told her in that moment, If you trust me, I will give you the power to forgive. 2005, Mary took another courageous step toward that healing. She contacted the Department of Corrections and requested a face-to-face meeting with her son's killer, O'Shea Israel. She said as she walked into that cold prison, she set us across from O'Shea and said, I told you in court that day that I forgave you, but today I want you to know that I'm truly setting you free. O'Shea replied, he said, Ma'am, I killed your boy. How can you do that? And she said, Because of Jesus who lives inside of me. After they wept, Mary said, I instantly knew that all the hatred, bitterness, and animosity, all that junk inside me for 12 long years was gone. Listen to this. Only God could do this. Mary and O'Shea continued to meet and something unusual began to grow between them. O'Shea became Mary's adopted son. Here they are. O'Shea was released from prison, and today O'Shea, Israel, and Mary are next-door neighbors. They speak all over the country about the power of forgiveness. Can't be done in man's power. But by God, He can do it. Our altar is open today. I don't know how this has helped you, if it's spoken to you specifically. But if you need to come today and you need to let go of something, you need to start this process in your life, hey, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just want to pray for our nation. Pray that God would help you to to be a peacemaker in, in our climate that we're in today you do that this altar is open for anybody for any reason you come and you let God deal with you